0: 1 through 5, found on page 1537 in your Pew Bibles, the black colored Bibles, page 1537, John 15, 1 through 5. And then we'll also look at um, Romans 11, verses 17 through 21, and that's found on page 1615. 1615. But first, uh, John 15, 1 through 5. Jesus is speaking, and if this was a Bible that had a red letter addition to it, you would see these words in red because they are his words. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then Romans 11, verse 17 through 21 Romans 11, 17 through 21, if some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourselves to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And that's, of course, talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, that the Gentiles are now crafted into the vine, which is Jesus. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to, uh, as we begin the message, just watch a short video. And we're going to have to black that out for those who are watching on live stream because of copyright issues. But um, for just a few moments, um, we're going to watch a video. It is a video, it's not just a picture that...
1: that... To 11-year-old Jude Kofi of Aurora, Colorado, this surprise was music to his eyes. (laughs) Obviously, whoever said the best things come in small packages was never gifted a grand piano. Jude's father, Isaiah. So one day it just shows up at the house? Yes, all for free. Who does that? The answer in a moment. But first, the reason. About a year and a half ago, Jude's dad heard a noise coming from the basement. There was an old keyboard down there, but no one knew how to play it. Certainly not his autistic son, Jude. Or so he thought. Isaiah then got Jude a larger keyboard to see what more he could do. And boy, could he do kid never had a lesson. No one taught him any of this. How do you explain that you're as good as you are? It's a miracle. You think it's a miracle? That's what I prefer. Bill Magnuson prefers that, too. Is he special? He's beyond special. He's Mozart level. It's coming
0: from somewhere beyond.
1: Bill is a piano tuner. He saw a local news story about Jude, heard him play, learned how his parents immigrated from Ghana, how they're raising four children and sending money back to Ghana. What resources are left over to help this special little soul? (laughs) Yours. Yeah. Using an inheritance from his father, Bill bought the piano, spent $15,000, he has promised to tune it once a month for the rest of his life, Very nice. and he's even paying for Jude to get professional lessons. We're family now. Somebody to just love your son like that by making sure that his future is secured, we are super thankful. Yeah. Press the pedal. Caring for other children as your own. The defining note of humanity. Steve Hartman, on the road, in Aurora, Colorado.
0: Feel-good story, isn't it? Yeah. Um, what, you, what you don't know, if you know a little more of the story, he's, he plays in church all the time, in his church, and um, it's exciting to uh, watch that. Beloved in Christ, that, that story is more than a feel-good story. That story is a miracle, like little Jude said, a miracle worth talking about. Here's an even bigger miracle worth talking about, union with Christ. How is it we as Christians can daringly say that we are united with Jesus Christ? Scripture, Romans specifically, tells us it is a matter of grafting. You heard that. Grafting is a miracle, like skin grafting for badly burned people. Skin tissue cut from a healthy area of the body, transplanted to the burned part of the body. If the graft takes, new skin will grow where there had been only burnt flesh before. Bones and organs can be grafted from one person to another. Incredible. Plants, what Paul talks about in the Romans passage, can be grafted to. A branch from one tree can be sliced off, notched into another tree, and if it takes, soon nourishing food and water will run through the tree's plumbing system, feeding the newly attached branch. Amazing. Romans 11 tells us that people, whole persons, are those branches and can be grafted into the tree or the vine who is Jesus. This is the miracle of union with Christ. The Apostle Paul got that teaching from Jesus, a teaching that John included in the Gospel of John at chapter 15 where we read where Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. So Paul concludes, we are grafted. As those branches into the vine, we now have union with Christ. Union with Christ is the most expansive way to talk about salvation. Union with Christ covers every aspect of Christian existence, the attaching, the grafting of whole persons into Jesus Christ through faith given them by the Holy Spirit. We are not just family now with him as the Piano tuner said, all choked up. We are actually in Christ. Union with Christ is a miracle, a bigger miracle worth talking about. The Apostle Paul writes about it constantly, as I've mentioned in a couple of previous sermons. In this series, one of Paul's all-time favorite topics, union with Christ, our salvation. Now, he talks about union with Christ in three ways. Remember we said what they were back in November, of all things, being with Christ, in Christ, and Christ in us. Now, in Christ, our subject matter for today, is Paul's favorite way to say it. In his letters, he includes the phrase, in Christ, 164 times, en Christo. That's the Greek way to say it, en Christo. Lou Meads writes... Paul creates a symphony of language out of it. Instruments all playing the music of in Christ. Right up front, God in Christ. Way in the back, persons in Christ. Over on the right, the church in Christ. To the left, new life in Christ. On this side, actions in Christ. That side, apostles in Christ. Here, glory in Christ. There, truth in Christ. Read the letters Paul wrote Almost immediately, you run into that phrase, in Christ, and the symphony starts warming up. Let's try to understand what in Christ means. First, look at the opposite. What's life outside of Christ? Paul says life outside Christ is, first of all, life in the flesh, which can itself have a couple of meanings. One okay and one not okay. The okay meaning is that life is simply frail, fragile, weak. Our physical flesh eventually dies. Flesh, just another name for human frailty. Flesh has another meaning, the not okay meaning. The meaning where flesh means sinful nature. And when we talk about it that way, we're talking about the flesh being fatal. Spiritually. That's not good. When it's used that way, it identifies us with evil. As Romans 8 verse 8 says, those who are in the flesh... Cannot please God. Being in the flesh is about that old sinful nature, about being condemned because the person's nature is opposed to God. A person in the flesh puts their hope in the flesh. In the flesh comes to stand for the sinful environment that people willingly put themselves in and identify themselves with. An environment dominated by the powers of evil. This in the flesh is a way of talking about being outside of Christ, and that's a not okay place to be. Second, Paul also describes life outside Christ as life under the law. Galatians 3, verse 10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. Now, we all know that the law still applies to us, still shows us how to live. We still must obey God's commandments, but What Paul means when he describes life outside of Christ as life under the law, what he means is obeying the law has become for us an instrument of self-righteousness, a way we can supposedly save ourselves. If I do this, that, and the other thing ten times a day, then I've got my salvation in the bag. Got it covered. Paul says, no! You believe that, then the law is blinding you from seeing the grace of God. You are saved only by grace, by Jesus' shed blood, by his body given for you. Your law abiding isn't worth two cents, isn't worth beans when it comes to earning your salvation. If you think it is and that's how you're living, you're living under the law, living outside of Christ. Third, Paul explains life outside Christ as a life in sin. Galatians 3.22, the whole world is a prisoner of sin. It's life in personal hostility toward God. In flight, away from God, a life in sin. A person embedded in a situation that is sinful. Where sin dominates is to be in sin. People living under the control of sin are in sin. In the flesh, under the law, in sin, they're practically synonyms. They all lead one place, to spiritual death. All three. The alliance of these three powers creates the human situation as it is controlled and betrayed and doomed by the powers of darkness behind the scenes, by Satan and his hosts. That's life outside of Christ. You're spiritually dead. Listen, heading for hell. It's that serious. Well, what about life in Christ now? Turn to 2 Corinthians, if you would, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And let's say this verse together. Verse 17, ready? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. There's the benchmark verse. Don't shut your Bibles. There's the benchmark verse for talking about being in Christ. And if you're sharp... You saw that it harks back to something. There's a therefore that began that verse. To what is it referring? Go back three verses to verse 14. Verse 14, you see it there? For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now, on the basis of that verse, let me ask you, what great historic event brings about the fact that in Christ, we are a new Creation. What is it? Death. His death on the cross. Christ's death brings it about. His death on the cross. Christ's death on the cross is the basis for the old creation. Being tossed out the window and the new creation coming through the front door. Christ's death at verse 18 is the basis for reconciliation between God and mankind. It says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against them. What are we saying here? Something life-changing, world hap- world-changing happened at the cross. Reconciliation between a creation and its creator, between God's people and God himself, happened at the cross. Estranged people brought back into the presence of their glorious God. A world of people was brought back into partnership with the God from whom they had been alienated. Hostility was brought to an end at the cross and reconciliation having been won for us, we have become new creations. You've got to think big here. It's not just me and my personal little relationship with God, how he saved me from the fires of hell. That's just one tiny sliver of the pie. A sliver of pie near and dear to our hearts, don't get me wrong, but still only a sliver. What happened at the cross was much grander. The entire pie, the entire world God made, a world led away from God's love by Satan, but a world that God kept on loving and a world to which he gave his son. That world was reconciled through Christ to God. It's a recreating happening at the cross. And Paul is so bold as to say, It is here you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to wish for it someday. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Where is that new creation? Look around you. Go ahead, look around you. The church. That's where these new creations are. Anywhere the true church is. Anyone who is genuinely part of the community where the reconciliation of Christ on the cross is preached... And lived out is part of that new situation, that new order in history called the new creation. The new creation takes the form of a community who are aware of this new reality in Jesus Christ. Are you aware of it? Yes, you are. The church. So Paul is saying something like this. If anyone is reconciled to God within the community of Christ, he or she is in Christ. You see friends we are we are part of a totally new world order that has been created a new reality where satan and his hosts are defeated where we're in fellowship with god where christ is lord being in christ we are participating in god's new reality now simultaneously that should thrill us and agonize us like being blessed with a child oh what a thrill precious little baby look at those little fingers and that cute little nose and that perfect baby smell after a bath oh what a thrill but the agony oh she wakes us up constantly has to eat all the time, makes us change 74 diapers a day. She's colicky, she's screaming to say nothing of the actual delivery that their blessed mothers agonized through being blessed with a new creation. A child is simultaneously thrilling and agonizing. Well, God's other new creation is is the same way. It thrills us to know God brought on a new creation at the cross. What a, what a dazzling, glorious thrill. But look around. Things just don't look all that right or all that righteous. That's a little agonizing. The new creation doesn't shine all that brightly. Oh, in the church it does sometimes. But in history as a whole, it's pretty dim out there. In the new creation, there's supposed to be the thrill of rampant love and righteous living and and radical justice and rock-solid shalom. It was on full display last week that rampant love as members of this church ministered to a homeless person, welcoming him into this building, giving him something to eat, praying with him during the narthex treat time, as he had been turned away at another local church. Beautiful, glorious, moving, love and compassion on display. The new creation was revealing itself in full regalia. Thank you to those who were right there to display it so beautifully. But other times, how hard it is to even Catch a glimpse of it. The old things have not all passed away. The new has not come in like a lion, but often rather like a lamb. Revelation 6, 9, 10. And the church's one foundation hymn we sang about these verses tell us about the souls of the saints under God's altar in heaven, yet saints... Their watch are keeping, their cry goes up. How long? How long, Lord? Isn't that our cry too? The older we get, the more we see, the louder our cries of agony become, don't they? We've seen enough. We want the end. By faith, what a thrill to know that, well, things have changed, but it's not all complete yet. So there's agony too. That's life in Christ. The new creation in Christ caught in a paradox. Caught up in the joy of reconciliation with God and each other one moment and in the agony over the vestiges of evil left in the world the next or maybe experiencing both at the same time. That's life in Christ. An honest look at it. Thrilling. Agonizing. So think about this, in in light of what it means to be a new creation in Christ, think about how unbelievably important it is for all of us individual Christians to be in fellowship with each other. If we see this new creation, this new world order, this new situation, this new reality most splendidly in the church, how important to us must every one of us be. How important to each one of us must every other person, every other new creation here be to us. More important than we could ever imagine. For surely here in the church is where the thrill of our joy can grow exponentially. And surely here in the church is where our agony can be endured together, each one helping the other so that our burdens, we can help each other bear them. Think how important the person sitting in your row, or in front of you, or behind you, actually is to you. How important they are to you, whether you know them well or not. So important. For they are a part with you in this new reality. They can show it to you, and you can show it to them. How do you do that? How do you do that? With, with the freedom you have in Christ, in Christ, our freedom in Christ. Let's, let's get at that phrase with another of those in Christ passages. You're ready to look it up. Romans 8, Romans 8, verse 1. Please turn to it. Romans 8, verse 1. You ready to read? Here we go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, once again, we've got a therefore. You see it? The text harks back to something. If you read chapter 7, you find out that the therefore harks back to a picture of human history under the lordship of the powers of darkness. It harks back to when we were all slaves to sin. In fact, in one of the closing verses of chapter 7, Paul says, "Finally, Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I'm wretched, don't you see? But along comes chapter 8, and last verse 7 actually. Paul says, thanks be to God. How am I delivered? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul says, there is deliverance from the body of death, from this seemingly unfixable old world order, and that deliverance comes by being in Christ. Chapter 8, verse 3. Christ condemned sin in the flesh. He doomed sin as a power. He disarmed it, defanged it, dethroned it as the prevailing force in the new age. He sentenced it to exile in the old order of things. Christ doomed our doom, in other words. And now we're in the new order of things. What took its place? The new age. The new order of the spirit. What's the the heading on on chapter 8? Life through the spirit the new age the new order of the spirit inaugurated at the cross romans 8 talks all about life in the spirit which is essentially being in christ now it's not sin that leads and dominates us anymore for sin was crushed it's the spirit who leads and dominates liberates and sets free We believe the Holy Spirit of God has been given to us, as the Heidelberg Catechism says it, been given to us, and it's the Spirit living in us who enables us to fulfill the just requirements of the law as he liberates us from the condemnation of the law and sin. Condemnation is gone. Freedom in the Spirit has come. Where there used to be an alliance of death between the flesh, law, and sin, that trinity of evil, now there is an alliance of life between human beings and all our weakness. And the Holy Spirit in all his power. So to be in Christ, listen, is to be part of the new community, the church, where the spirit of holiness and love is the dominant power and the guiding norm. Now what's all that saying? Two things. Number one, we are not slaves to sin nor the law of sin anymore. Hard to even fathom. We are are in an alliance with the Holy Spirit of God who really does, really can enable us to fulfill the just requirements of the law, God's commandments, to keep them. We have the greatest weapon available in our arsenal against sin. We talked all Advent and a little after about Advent armor. Well, greatest weapon in our arsenal against sin, Holy Spirit. But but often we can hardly believe it or we forget it. A Savior who crushed our sin at the cross, of course, the Holy Spirit who enables us to obey our God. Which for me, I need a constant reminder. I need to be reminded repeatedly that I am no slave to sin. Christ defeated them all. Not one of them has power over me, not one sin. So to resign ourselves to certain favorite sins with words like, I guess I'm just not strong enough to defeat the sin, just not strong enough to get on top of this sin, that's crazy talk. It's already defeated. Don't you dare use that as an excuse. I need to be reminded of that, that fighting sin with an attitude of, oh, poor little me, going up against big old mean sin, that attitude is wrong. Sin may be strong, but Christ, his Holy Spirit, is so much stronger. And we are in Christ, no longer enslaved. Freedom in Christ reminds us of that. Freedom in Christ, secondly, tells us that we are in a new situation, a new community where, more so than we could ever imagine, we are and can be led by the Holy Spirit, led to serve Christ, led to live for Christ. The Spirit is leading every one of us. And I need to be reminded repeatedly, pray for the Spirit's lead in living holy and righteously before God. The Spirit's lead to make me what I am more and more splendidly. So that I'm constantly praying for the Spirit to make me shine Christ brighter in this world. So that in my life I'm not content to be only a little Christ-like. I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to make me a bit more Christ-like. And then praying for the Holy Spirit to make me quite a bit Christ-like. And then praying for the Holy Spirit to make me a lot Christ-like. And then praying for the Holy Spirit to make me almost all the way there, Christ-like. And then, pray. well, the point is, the Spirit's perfectly capable of doing it. This almighty, holy Spirit of God. I think if we don't remind ourselves of his power and of Christ's victory, we'll think of the Spirit as nothing much more than a, well, a hard worker, a pretty good ally in our Christian walk, instead of the almighty, victorious, life-changing God that he is. That's our freedom. In Christ, because we are new creations in Christ. Perhaps it's a more optimistic picture than we're used to. But the more you think about it, what we're used to may not be giving our all-powerful God the credit he deserves. And maybe the reason we don't is because that old order of things still keeps some old comfortable spots in our hearts And we kind of like them there. The trouble with that, Paul says, is that we are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. That's been done for us. It's been done for us. Surely then it's time we got on living that way. We are in Christ. And that's a miracle worth talking about. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, impress that truth upon us on this day, but then tomorrow morning, don't let us forget it, that we are in Christ and how incredible that is. That means we can fight hard against sin because we have the one who is all-powerful fighting sin. And that sin is defeated already. And remind us when we wake up Monday morning that we can, the freedom now, to be led by the Holy Spirit in all of our living. Help us not to make silly excuses that aren't worth a hill of beans. Remind us, we are in Christ. We are in Christ. Jesus Christ, remind us again and again and again. In his name we pray, amen.